What is enough? Am I enough? Do I love enough? What does long enough run? Strength and excellence comes at the crossroads of of curiosity and, and courage. That was Dave Proctor, and this is episode 13 of the Inspired Souls podcast. Hi, I'm Carolyn, and I'm a roadrunner. And I'm Kim, and I'm a trail runner. Welcome to our podcast, where we bring the communities of trail and road running together and explore the parallels between running and life. Dave Proctor is a man who needs no introduction, but I'm going to try. He is a Canadian running legend and is considered one of the top 10 ultramarathon runners in the world. He is a 40-year-old father of three from Okotoks, Alberta, and is the Canadian record holder for the 24, 48, and 72 hours continuous run events. He has also held world records in the furthest distance ran on a treadmill in 12 and 24 hours, as well as the fastest 100-mile time of 12.32. In 2018, he founded Outrun Rare and attempted to run across Canada in record time to raise funds for the Rare Disease Foundation, something he plans to reattempt in 2021. Most recently, Dave has been making a name for himself with Backyard Ultras. He placed third at the 2019 Biggs Backyard Ultra in Tennessee, where he ran 52 yards for a total of 348.9 kilometers. If you haven't noticed already, runners are super cool, and even the most elite among us are just genuinely nice, solid people. Dave is no exception, and in this episode, you'll hear some of the wisdom he's gained over the years, not only about running, but about life. This conversation is not only exciting and inspiring, but brutally honest and real. Grab your coffee or put on your running shoes. Let's chat with Dave. Hi, Dave. We are so happy to have you on our podcast tonight. Carolyn and I have been um, anxiously waiting to get a chance to talk to you. So thank you for joining us. Yeah, super glad to be here, girls. You have quite a presence, uh, both in the running community, but also in the podcast space. You've been a guest on many different podcasts as well as you have your own. So um, I'm thinking that we're we're hopefully going to find some new and interesting things to talk about. Mm-hmm. But let's just talk about your podcast for a minute. We were just before we started recording chatting a bit about it. Mm-hmm. How, how has it been going? You just launched yours in June, I believe this summer. Yeah, you bet. During uh, you know our, our lockdown in, in Canada, me and a friend of mine, uh, Joe Gagnon from New York City, um, yeah, he and I have, have become really good friends over the last number of years. And uh, he's super curious. He is really, really eager to um, learn more about, you know, ultra endurance sport and, and, and running. And, and, and we have all different guests. We've had Olympic bobsledders. We've had um, the world record for the you know longest deep sea dive without a uh, the aid of, of oxygen, um, oh, wow. you know, just really, really, you know, we had Courtney DeWalter on a couple yeah. weeks ago, Lazarus Lake. So we've had some really, really interesting characters and, you know, it's super fun because like you guys know, Kim and Carolyn, both of you with, with interviewing people, you, you get to steer the conversation to being and, and receiving really kind of what you want. And I, I think, I think the very best, um, interviewers are the most uh, curious, and mm-hmm. so, yeah, your curiosity and encourage, right? Uh, that's that's what breeds strength. We are finding this is such a fun 
game. Right. <laughs> it's such right. a fun thing to do. It doesn't even feel like work because like you said, people are just so fascinating and oh, so fascinating. There's, there's always something to talk about. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm not surprised you're enjoying it as much as we are. Um, Carol mm-hmm. and I are really curious how you came up with your name. Why did you choose Chasing Tomorrow? Well, I think that just it's it's me and and Joe's demeanor and and the way that we lean in in life is we're just always so curious and and what you know what are we chasing tomorrow? And so we, what we've always found with our podcast, Chasing Tomorrow podcast, is is you know you end up having these conversations with these people that you think that are going to go a certain way. Like you know we when you talk to Lazarus, like how do you not go on about the Barclay marathons? But really, really at the construct of what he's doing is he's a community builder. And so he enables and creates opportunity for people that would never create those opportunities themselves to find greatness within themselves within and within people uh, around them that want to see themselves, you know, exceed at a, at a, at just a beautiful space and a beautiful level. And um, so, you know, being able to kind of deconstruct that, unpack all of that and ask really odd and interesting questions mm-hmm. to these guests, make them kind of, kind of squirm a little bit. And then, and then, and then, and then start to unpack that a little bit more. You know, I, I would really like to think that, you know, anybody who exits our, our, our podcast will, I don't know, maybe, maybe start asking themselves a little bit more questions about, you know, what does tomorrow, you know, like, you know, Lazarus Lake, what's next for a guy like that? But really he has a tomorrow too, which is so cool because you and I, or, you know, you, you, Kim and, and Carolyn, myself, we, we all, we're going to put our feet out of, out of our beds tomorrow and, 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 and lean into something. What are they leaning into and what, what can we learn from them? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So fascinating. And I mean, there's mm-hmm. really no shortage of interesting people doing interesting things right. to interview, not just in the running space, right? Because I think I've heard you say it's what makes you good at running makes you good at life too. And so, you know, people may look at you and think, okay, Dave, the runner, but on that theme of what you just said, what would you want people to know about you? Like, what are you beyond just a runner? Well, yeah. And, and so I don't know. I, 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 myself personally, I use running as a craft to better explore and discover my complexities um, and really what I can bring to the world at its best, I guess. Um, I know that that sounds really convoluted and, and, and really complicated and probably is far more complicated than really what it needs to be. But it kind of is, isn't it? You know, you what we do is we fabricate these really difficult situations in front of us and let's just see what happens. And we fail and we fail and we fail. And then we, every once in a while we have a success. And we, we, we you know, it's funny because everybody always seems to remember the successes except for the successor. And we always seem to fa- remember the failures because that's kind of what it takes to get there. I don't know about you guys, but, you know, there are really hard things to do in this world. And I think that a lot of us uh, at this time of COVID and during this pandemic are probably staring uh, a lot of them square in the face right now. But what are we doing um, and how are we acting is, is, is a lot of the time the same, the same way that we act and respond in a way of recreation. And so what's beautiful about the idea of running a hundred mile race or running you know, your very best five kilometer race is it's hard. But, you know, how do we take all those little lessons along the way, those little tiny behaviors, and how do we shift them in order for when life gets to be really hard, 
when you're dealing with mental health issues, when you're dealing with um, an elderly family member who's, who's failing in health? How are we going to respond in those means? And, and how, how, how are we going to take what we've learned and to be a better self in those really difficult moments? Because they're bound to happen. They, they always happen, not by choice. And I love what you said about how we fabricate these situations for ourselves, mm-hmm. right? As runners, mm-hmm. it really is a choice. We are mm-hmm. not forced to go run. We're not forced to sign up for these races. We're not no forced question. to to set audacious goals for ourselves of running across the country and you know the fastest known time. These are choices we make, but they're choices we make that essentially are training for life, right? They make mm-hmm. you more resilient. Mm-hmm. And when you're faced with, you know, a, a moment like with COVID where you have to pivot real fast, mm-hmm. um, well, we've learned how to be adaptable in our sport and in our recreation. And it's, um, yeah. So, okay. We just dove right in there and this we, is we awesome. Did, yeah, <laughs> of course we did. But, but we let's, do. let's go back a little bit. Um, hmm. So Dave, just tell us a little bit about yourself. You know, I, mm-hmm. a lot of people know your, you know, the last decade of your life and all of your list of your running resume. But let's go way back. Like, where did you go, Rub? How did you get into running? You know, what was your sporting life as, as a younger person? And then how did that evolve into where you are now? Yeah, so I, I grew up in High River, Alberta, a small farm town uh, south of Calgary. And, um, I grew up with a loving father and a loving mother. My dad worked so often. My mom was kind of a doting mom. It was a very healthy family. I have an older brother, Dan. We never got along growing up, but we're best of friends now. And, um, we grew up in a sporting family. Um, I was always playing basketball or baseball or running or, you know, any sport that was available. I was, I was doing it. I remember my father, when I was six years old, he put an old mattress in, in the basement on one wall and um, he, he taped uh, a piece of wood on, 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 on the floor on the other side of the room. Now, he grew up playing softball um, and softball isn't, you know, isn't actively played by a lot of men anymore. It's more of a female sport, but back then it was very much a, um, you know, men and women both played. And my father was a back catcher. And he, you know, wanted his boys to be pitchers. So, um, you know, the hundred rule was, which we had to throw a hundred pitches every night. And so my father would sit on a, an old ratty sofa in the basement and he would smoke his cigarette and drink his beer. And he would tell us to you know, pitch the ball high inside and low and away. And, um, yeah, that's what we did at, at the age of six. I remember at the age of seven years old, I was playing in a baseball tournament and there was the provincial final and my father, um, we were watching the game and, and my father just put his arm around me and he said, you know, in two years, you're going to be better than him. And I thought, oh my goodness, like that kid is incredible. Like there's, there's no better player that I've ever seen play. And he was a young child, the, the same age as, as myself. But we, I think we increased that to 150 or 200 pitches every night. And yeah, within a couple of years, I was, I was a better pitcher than he was. Um, within a couple of years, I, we won a number of provincial and, and national titles. I won a couple of awards, top pitcher in, in Western Canada. And yeah, I grew up as a, as really a baseball player. But, you know, when I wasn't playing baseball, I was, you know, the captain of the basketball team or the volleyball team. But one thing I really loved doing was running. 
And, you know, I would always win the, the high school or sorry, sorry the, the elementary school or the middle school, you know, track meets and the, the cross country meets. One of my favorite days of the year was the Terry Fox run at school. Uh, like every other Canadian child. I, I remember just feeling so inspired that day that this guy was out running with one leg and he made it halfway across the country and he couldn't make it any further because he, he died. And I remember that really made a major, major impact on me as a, as a, as a young person. But when I was in the 10th grade uh, with no you know, track and field background, I finished, I think it was fourth place in the high school provincial 100-meter track and field championships. And I was kind of getting tired of softball at that time. So I just decided to transition from softball to track and field. Fast forward a couple of years later, I turned into a decathlete. So that's 10 events in track and field. You have to compete in 10 events in two days. And I was on the national track and field team. And I was you know, competing in, in, in Europe. I got injured. I tore my, one of my muscles in my hip flexors. And I remember trying to return to track and field after that. But um, yeah, it just didn't fly. I, 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 I was not running well. I had no really legitimate power at all anymore in the front part of my right hip. The other major interest I had in, when I was a kid was, was girls. And so I, I, started, really? yeah, I, started, I started, you know, paying more attention to girls and partying. And that was kind of the end of my athletic life. I thought, I thought, okay, well, I'm going to become an, an adult, you know, 18, 19 years old. And I'm going to just, you know, date cute girls and go to parties and drink beer and, and on and so forth. So a couple of years, you know, probably about three years later after that, I was gaining some weight. And one of my friends said, you know, he's going to train for this Mother's Day 10 kilometer run that was in town. And I was like, 10 kilometers? Because in track and field, the furthest you, you'd run is, is, is one and a half kilometers. So one, yeah, 1,500. And I remember I, I ran around the block. And I remember, I, I remember feeling it was really far. Like it was incredibly painful. You mean at some point in your life, you considered running around the block far? Yes. Mic drop here. Like, yeah. <laughs> oh. <laughs> okay. And and so from that point, I remember I get I, I did the 10 kilometer run, but I remember I ran about five kilometers of it and I walked the back five because it was just too far. And I, I remember I think, well, I, I could do that better. Because I remember I used to be able to run, but you know, just track and field like it was track and field, so it was, it was shorter, shorter distances, but quicker. And I thought, you know, I, I could do this better. And so that is kind of what started, you know, leaning into, you know, signing up for a half marathon. And at that time as well, too, I was a massage therapist in my early years of my practice, in my early 20s. And there was a fellow who came into my office. His name was Maurice. And Maurice was telling me about this 100-kilometer race down in Lethbridge called the Lost Soul 100 that he was training for. And I thought, that's impossible. Like, there's no one on earth that could run 100 kilometers. And he says, well, there's people there that run hundred miles. And I was like, there's no way. So, you know, of course I was young and stupid and I was like, well, I could do that. And so I signed up and I trained, I, I thought I trained properly. I have no idea what I was doing. And still I had my ass handed to me on the course. Um, and again, I ran half the race and then walked the other half, but realized, and that was in 2005, I think. And realized, wow, like there, I have so much to learn. And 
I got the bug and I decided to sign up the next year and that I could do better. And that's kind of where my, my ultra marathoning career began. See, Carolyn, you get the bug and you never look back. She's she's resisting. She's resisting. But, I, I can I can sense some resistance from Carolyn. Yeah, <laughs> well, I think oh, the cool kids run ultras. Come no, on, I, I do. I'm I'm very intrigued by the community. I will <laughs> say, but I also think that there's two ways that you can challenge yourself. Mm-hmm. You can run faster or you can mm-hmm. run longer. So I've just chosen to stay in my little right. bubble of, of working on running faster, although now I'm 43. So I think my fastest days are kind of behind me. So you mm. just never know. I will never say never. But what I'm really hearing from you mm-hmm. in that story Mm-hmm. is a curiosity yes. is a, like oh the 10k who could possibly do that who could run around the block who could, oh, 100 kilometers who could run 100 kilometers and it's this it's almost like breadcrumbs like you've, you're fo- mm-hmm. following that curiosity all the way along until now I mean what's been your longest effort to date oh uh, good question so I've had a number of you well, a number of I've had two six day f- failed attempts where, you you know, these six day races were 144 hours of continual running. So how far can you run in six days? Um, where I go about three or four days and then things completely blow up because I can't sleep. So I think in those efforts, I ran 600 and 660 kilometers, 670 kilometers. Wow. Yeah. Wow. I, yeah. But I, yeah, for whatever reason, I just can't. Although, you know, with the run across Canada in 2018, I, I don't even know if you'd call that individual runs well i was just going to say it depends how you define your longest yeah, attempt right? is it defined as in non-stop is it defined right. as in right. you know like like a bigs event where you're you're sleeping in snippets here and there or mm-hmm, yeah mm-hmm. so right. uh, what was the total you know we haven't even gotten into okay let's talk about let's talk about this cross Canada trans-Canadian speed record right. um, that you started in the summer mm-hmm. of 2018. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. You made it, I think, right to the midpoint of Canada, correct? Just past the... Yeah, um, just past the east side of Winnipeg, yeah. East side of mm-hmm. Winnipeg, where we mm-hmm. are recording tonight. Um, right. So tell us a little bit about, for those of our listeners that aren't familiar, you know, we're so familiar right. with it, but tell us a little bit about the context of that, uh, what you were trying to achieve, and then maybe what the future holds for that type of an event. Well, yeah, yeah, you know, and maybe to give it a little bit more reverence, I'll, I'll kind of, you know, talk about two little step stepping stones leading into, into the run across Canada, because, you know, you don't just ever wake up in the morning and go, yeah, I could do that. Or if you do, you're probably going to fail, right? And so, you know, in 2015, I had the race of my life and it was in Torino, Italy, and I was running for our national team for for Team Canada at the World 24-Hour Championships. So my goal was to break the Canadian 24-hour record, which stood at 242 kilometers in the day. In the day. And um, my goal was to get in the top 25 at that contest as well, too. But I had a really good day and I end up running 257.093 kilometers and breaking the, the Canadian record by about 15 kilometers and got sixth place. So it was a super, super big, you know, those moments when you end up achieving something and then you realize, well, if I could do that, what else can I do? Like maybe, maybe I set the ceiling a little bit too low, right? Yep. And so I end up making a phone call that next day to my friend Blaine Penny, who lives in Calgary. 
And Blaine Penny is the founder of Mito Canada, which is a rare disease organization that raises funds and awareness for, for mitochondrial disease. His son has mitochondrial disease. And I've done efforts with him in the past where, you know, I want to help him gain support for his charity. And I told him, I said, you know, I think I could break the world record, the Guinness world record for the furthest distance run on a treadmill in 24 hours. And I think it might end up creating a lot of buzz and we could end up um, raising a lot of funds and, and, and getting a lot of awareness. And he was totally on board. So fast forward into 2016. You know, we set up all these treadmills and we ran on treadmills for the day. And, you know, we, a former guest of yours, Ariel Fitzgerald, she was on treadmill next to me. And uh, we end up having 24 teammates running on different treadmills. And so I ended up running for 260.4 kilometers that day and broke the Guinness World Record. And we ended up raising $85,000 for mitochondrial disease, which was amazing and and, and awesome. Um, That is awesome. Oh, but then again, once you do that, you're like, well, shit, you know, like if I could do that, what else can I do? And I've always in the back of my mind thought about this trans-Canadian speed record because there's this dude named Al Howie and any Canadian runner who doesn't know him should know him because, you know, to give reverence to your sport, there are giants amongst the giants and he's a giant. And he ended up back in, in 1991, he ended up running across Canada in 72 days and 10 hours. That's 100 kilometers a day, no days off. And he, wow. he killed it. He ended up raising $750,000 for the Purple Cross. Which in 1991 was no small amount of money. Right, right, absolutely. And not only that, but two and a half weeks later, after he finished running across Canada, he ended up going out and setting up the, uh, breaking the 3,100 mile um, record down in, 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 in New York in City. New York. Only two yeah, and a half weeks later. The 3,100. Right. And it's because he said, I've never been in fitter. Like he said, running across the country got me really fit. Now I want to go do something cool. Like if that's not like a mic drop, <laughs> I don't know what is. <laughs> Which only makes you super curious. You're like, okay, okay. So I, I, I have better times when it comes to 100 mile and 24 hour and all those other things. And now Howie does. Maybe, maybe I could beat his record, and maybe, maybe that's the next kind of step when it comes to my career and when it comes to my 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 accomplishments. So I got super eager about. I was like, oh, okay. Well, how do I do that? So. That's kind of what set the, the ball in, in motion with creating the foundation Outrun Rare um, to re- create, you know, national awareness and, and, and fundraising for, for rare disease. My son has a rare disease. And so we, we decided to use this as a, as a leap board to end up going and creating a, a national awareness campaign. And our goal in, in 2018 was to, uh, to run across Canada in, in, in record time, but also to raise a million dollars for the Rare Disease Foundation. Wow. That's amazing. And just backing up to your son, mm-hmm, can you mm-hmm. give us a little bit of a backstory? What is his rare disease? When was you he bet. diagnosed with that? How's he doing now? Yeah, absolutely. So Sam the man is 11 years old. He's turning 12 in February. And uh, he has a rare disease called relapsing encephalopathy with cerebellar ataxia. There's not going to be a test at the end of this to, re- you know, we call it RECA, R-E-C-A. And it's a, it's a very, very rare disease. He was the sixth diagnosed in the world with, with RECA. And what that means is Sam, you know, struggles daily with balance and coordination. Ataxia means lack of balance and coordination. 
And so he struggles with getting dressed and going to the washroom and speech and, and all those things that we all take for granted. You know, I, I, it's not lost on me, the fact that I, I can do these things, yet he struggles to do, you know, basic daily, you know, chores and activities. And so, you know, not just that, but it's also the fact that we got really quite frustrated, Sharon and myself, kind of maneuvering through the diagnostic odyssey. Sorry, that's what we call the diagnostic mm-hmm. odyssey, because it took us six years to get his diagnosis. Wow. And what that means is that we kept going to the people that we were trusting. And these were great people. And they kept putting up their hands and saying, hey, we don't know how to help and support you. You know, just go stand over there. We're going to get around to you because the system's really not set up for you people. And we came to realize that the Canada is the only developed country in the world without a rare disease strategy. And it, it's the doctors are kind of hamstrung by the system mm-hmm. that they that they have. And so we noticed that we have all these other families living with rare disease. We call them rare families in Canada. And they're so frustrated because they see other major diseases like cancer and diabetes and on and so forth, getting all this attention and all this support. But yet if you have a rare disease or, or, or an undiagnosed disorder, you kind of go without. And so, you know, of course I have a bias. Um, We all do. But um, I saw that there, there was a significant need to draw attention. And as well, too, I personally am very drawn to the Terry Fox story and Rick Hansen story where you end up going and creating big enough fireworks. And create, don't, don't just complain about the world as you see it. Go and create a conversation amongst your friends and create a bigger conversation. Well, and their stories wasn't just about fireworks, Dave. It was about momentum, right? right? Like the momentum is still going decades Isn't later. It beautiful? Isn't it absolutely beautiful? It's, there's a saying that says, it's not how, Terry Fo- how far Terry Fox got, because we know how far he got. It's how far he got us. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's beautiful. And it's, it's just humanity tied up into it, it wrapped in a, a beautiful gift wrap box with a nice bow on it. And I think it's something, especially during a time of pandemic, that we all desperately want in our lives. And we want to be inspired. We don't want to be watching, you know, more of the, the Trump show on, on CNN. We, we want to be inspired by one another doing incredible things for incredible people like our families. Exactly. And, and I think what's really beautiful about what you went out and did, the action that you went out and took, is that you could have gone out and you could have developed the... RECA Foundation, right? And really significantly right. helped your son. But what I love about what you did is you said, hey, wait a second, we're not the only family affected by this that are falling through the cracks of our healthcare system because we're, you know, not fitting into the box, so mm-hmm. to speak. Mm-hmm. I'm going to scoop us all up and raise awareness for all of us. So can you talk a little bit more about why Outrun Rare as opposed to why the RECA Foundation? You know, and thanks, Carolyn, for bringing that up, because that's that's something that I think that a lot of the rare disease community is, you know, really struggles with is siloization, is that we have over 70 rare disease organizations in Canada that really focus on their specific diseases. And I, I don't blame anybody for doing it, because when something deeply affects you in your family, like, you know, I could I could have very well, well went out and created the RECA Foundation. And I guarantee you, Carolyn and Kim, that my son's life, Sam, would be way better because of it. But what about all the other families living with rare disease 
mm-hmm. that don't know how to advocate and don't have the voice and don't have the privilege that I have because of my my abilities to run and you know create an opportunity to be able to speak to you know to you guys today even um, what about them and they're going to be still left in the lurch and to be honest with you and this is maybe where I get a little bit too honest is that Sam's really lucky because he's got a very, very, very high functioning rare disease. Sam's going to live a very long life. Um, Sam's got the best grades in his class when it comes to science and math wow. because he's, because he's also learned how to really work hard. Sam just deals with, um, you know, motor skills. I mean, I know of countless other families that have had, had to attend funerals in the last many years. Mm-hmm. So we are very, very, very lucky. And, you know, I, I, I've always told Sharon that maybe we're in a position as well too. Maybe this has all kind of happened for a reason because we can do this because we're not in the hospital six months of the year. Right. Sam's very high functioning. And so siloization is a major issue where I get it. Everybody sees their issues and then they want to go out and create support because of the community that's around them. And I get it. But what about the greater community? And this is what's beautiful about Canada in the time of COVID as well, too, is because I've always told my kids, I said, you guys have a responsibility to people that you have never known that live in a different town or a different province to keep them safe. So if you needed, if you didn't just wash your hands for yourself during a time of pandemic, do it for them because you have a responsibility to everyone. And I think it's such a beautiful concept that we could end up holding one another's hands and supporting one another, especially people that are in more need at this time than us currently. And so Yay, I'll just be completely honest. Sam is very high functioning and we're very, very, very lucky to, to be put in this position. But we also identify that and want to be moving that forward. You mentioned that he was the sixth diagnosed in the world with, with RECA. And I think Correct. recently I heard you on a podcast saying there's now 240 people in the world or something like that. I Is that so, number? I believe it's even higher now. Yeah. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. but still, that's a very small number. Mm-hmm. Um, I've also heard you say, though, that when you combine all of these rare diseases together, it's something like one in 12 people Correct. are affected, mm-hmm. which puts things into a different context. Like, why should I care about a hundred, about 240 people? But when you think of one in 12, that's a totally different thing. Yeah. One in 12 Canadians has a rare disease, which is absolutely nuts to think about that. That amount of the population goes really without um, support and access. If you really thought about it in that way, it's, it's kind of crazy. But the crazy thing is, is, is I, I think a lot of the time we forget because with the limited amount of support and access, um, you know, I forget what the what the numbers are again, but one one quarter of, of children that have a rare disease don't don't live to to see their tenth birthday. So that lifts up the numbers exponentially as well yes. too. Well, and it's not just about numbers. I, that kind of came out a bit wrong. Of course, we no, should no, care no, about no, every single human life on this planet, right. whether it's one right. in six or one in a million. You know, but, but, but you're absolutely right. But when those numbers are that large. You know, yeah. it's and, and and that's the weird thing. And this is what I was, you know, it was beating my head up against the wall for the longest time um, with my friends in, in the rare disease spaces, because I said, you know, why is it that we don't have a national rare disease campaign? Like, why do why don't why don't we have a campaign? And I, I, I love listening to radio talk shows as well, too, because people call in and they they want to tell you about all the, the crap that's happening in the world. But how many people are really willing to go out and do something about it? Mm-hmm. And they're very, 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 very few. And even those very few will end up going to a certain point and then typically pulling back. Yeah. 
And so what I wanted to do is I wanted to set a, a challenge that was so audacious that was, and, and, and became so public that it was like, yeah, it's a big goal. And, and, and chances are it's probably not going to work out. But what if it did? Mm-hmm. You know? I love um, it. What if it did? Yes. And how rad would that be? You know, yes. like, you know, and, 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 and to create, to, to, to be even to, even to be able to in this life, and I just even think about this often, even in this life, to be able to have an opportunity to be able to raise a flag like that. Yeah. And, and start a conversation, right? Right. Just because when you, when you think about over 8,000 known rare diseases and mm-hmm. loads more that are, are unknown, right? Mm-hmm. It, it's you have to maybe think that that's a bit of a misnomer rare <laughs> because right, right. It, it's really not that rare. Right. And right. But there's so many of them. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. And we all need to, to care more about this. And that's what I love what you're doing. You're starting a conversation. You're, you, you're using what you can offer, right. Which is your running and, mm-hmm. um, you know, your, your voice and your, you're in the healthcare system and everything you have, uh, many different skills that you can draw upon to -hmm. get this conversation going. And I'm, I'm so curious to ask you this too. Like, um, obviously you, you watch Sam and, and just everyday things are more challenging for him than they would be for, for you, for example. And so how does that play in when you're getting tired? Because presumably Dave, you get tired. Do you, do you mm-hmm. get tired? So when you get <laughs> tired and you say, oh, this is really hard or I have a blister mm-hmm. or my knee hurts, like, do you think of Sam and how does that, how do you draw upon him for strength in those moments? Absolutely. Uh, I have, um, and I do continue to, and I, I think that there's so many different, and, and boy, this is a, a long conversation because I, my, how do you how do you manage the mental conversations that are happening in your head at the moment where you think that things are about to explode, but they're really not. But yet, you know, you've created that situation, so that, you know, so there's so there's a good reason for you to to put yourself there mentally. And I think I find that's just so easy, right? Is you know when you like to think when you when you think that the world is crumbling in and around you and that life really couldn't get worse, you really don't need to look very far. You know, I've always been told that you should never, ever meet your, your heroes, but I, I'm so blessed in my life that I have a lot of my heroes close by. So, yeah, so I've got this friend in, in the UK and his name is Robbie Britton. And the very first time I ran into Robbie was at that race that I was telling you earlier in the conversation about in Torino, Italy. And, um, that's when I broke the Canadian 24 hour record and things were going really, really, really well. But at 18 hours into any race, um, and we're about 200 kilometers into the run. And, you know, keep in mind, sorry, uh, at this race, you're running a two-kilometer looped course around and around and around and around and around. And, um, you know, people that you saw that looked good earlier are now lying in their own pool of vomit or other people are, you know, shit themselves and other people are speaking to people that don't exist. And it's a bit of a train wreck. And it's kind of fun to watch, except for you realize that you might be next, right? Yes. And those other people that are seeing things, you wonder if you're seeing seeing things, seeing those people, right? And so I looked up ahead and there was this guy from Great Britain. I remember he smacks another guy in the ass and was all animated about, you know, something. And I remember that's weird because everybody on this course looks like death, except for that guy. What's up with that guy? So I ended up running up and ran with him. And I ended up running with him for the next two hours. 
And his name's Robbie Britton. And Robbie Britton ended up finishing in third place in the world that day. Now, the beautiful thing about Robbie is that Robbie isn't the best runner on the course, but I really, truly believe he's the best human being. And that's why he did well that day. And so I was running for the first 10 minutes with Robbie and Robbie was all super active and, and super, you know, happy. And he was like, Hey, isn't this wonderful that we're all out here doing this together? Isn't this great? Isn't this wonderful? And you're looking around and nobody else is saying a damn word, but this guy wouldn't shut up. And we've run for like 200 kilometers. And you're like, what is with this guy? And so I asked him, I said, you know, Robbie, my feet are covered in blisters, my knees, my hips, my soul, my stomach, everything hurts. I look at you and I don't see that you're in any pain whatsoever. Please tell me that you're in pain. <laughs> and I remember that Robbie looked at me and he says, Dave, I'm not in pain. And I don't want to, I don't believe your shit. You know, I don't believe in your shit that you are either. And he said, think about it, man. Um, we're in a, in a park in downtown Torino, Italy. And within a five mile radius of where we currently are right now, I guarantee you there's a hundred people that would die to give you their current level of pain for your current level mm-hmm. of pain. He said, you know, there's somebody that's having to bury their three-year-old child tomorrow because yeah. they, you know, died in a car crash. Um, there's somebody who's putting a gun to their head. And he said, there's real pain in this world. And I really do hope that you have loved ones that will be there to support you. And Dave, I would love to be there to support you during those hard times, but this isn't that time. You're celebrating the fact that you can be out here running and the fact that you've eliminated the skin off of your own feet because you ran so far. That's kind of fucking cool. So he (laughs) says, I don't want to hear about how terrible your blisters are because I guess I I get it. It sells on Facebook and David Goggins freaking does it all the time. But you know, it doesn't really make sense because David Goggins is out here. And if he was, we'd all kick his ass. And so, sorry, I think I just said that live on your podcast. Um, <laughs> <That's> okay, <laughs> but, but, but it's it's true because it's it it comes down to a relative perspective where you know the top runners in the world are looking at around and going, yeah, it could always be worse, right? Yeah, and yeah. I can do this. I, I I can I can see that tree up ahead. I can run there. Yeah, and they just manage themselves in a way of grace at a time when everybody else is blowing up, they're okay. I'm speechless. That's not common. I'm still stuck back on this phrase you said, there are people that would give anything to trade their current level of pain for your current level of pain. Like, mm-hmm. really think about that. That There's so much in those, what, 10 words. It's true. You know, again, we, we make a choice to run the skin off the bottoms of our feet. And there's different types of pain. You know, emotional pain can be way, way more traumatic than a blister. Oh, yeah. Let's be honest. Like, really. What's beautiful about that two-kilometer looped course at, in Trino, Italy is that Every single time you ran through that two-kilometer looped course and you ran out onto another, you know, looped course, that's another opportunity for a meaningful experience. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I stop and sit down on the chair and say, oh, okay, that's enough. But, you know, I could be missing out on the most wonderful, like, I had the conversation with Robbie and that was a pivotal conversation in my life that made me transition and be- becoming a better human being, a better man. Um, I was a better father, mm-hmm. I was a better partner, I was a better friend, and I was a better runner at the end of that day because I had that meaningful experience because I stood up and I leaned into it. And I can't wait to lean into my next potential meaningful experience. Okay, so let's talk about that. Mm-hmm. So just, you know, 
speeding ahead or backing up, I don't know which way you want to say it, um, you didn't complete that entire Trans-Canadian um, crossing in 2018. Mm-hmm. You made it mm-hmm. halfway across the country because right. of back uh, pain and a, a disc herniated mm-hmm. in your back. Mm-hmm. In fact, I um, it wasn't really morbidly, but I was anxiously awaiting here in Winnipeg to come and help yeah. support you. Um, I got a phone call from Stephanie that summer and uh, one of my staff came and asked me, you know, there's this this person on the phone looking for a physio to come help some ultra runner who's running across the country. Will you take the call? And I'm like, hell yeah, I'll take the call. Awesome. And it was it was so exciting to have you come through Winnipeg. Um, but uh, even though you had to postpone or cancel the event in 2018, there's been talk of, of future plans. Uh-huh. So it didn't stop you. Can you just tell us a little bit about what the future might hold for Outworn Rare? Yeah, so 2020, we were, you know, driving the train hard into 2020. And we were supposed to be running across the country uh, this past summer. But um, this little thing, COVID-19, I don't know if you've ever heard of it, um, <laughs> had different plans <laughs> and kind of railroaded everything. Um, I remember when my project manager, my brother, uh, Dan Proctor, ended up bringing it up you know, in a conversation. He's like, Dave, there's this thing going on in China that you might want to pay attention to because I have a feeling it's going to come here and it's going to railroad the, the run across Canada. And I was like, mm, Dan, you stop your conspiracy theorist, you know, BS and blah, blah, blah. Sounds like but we yeah. have brothers that are very much the same. Right? Yeah, turns out they're, they're, very, they're knowing. It turns out they're way smarter than us. I, I, I shouldn't say that to you, Kim. I'm sure you're very, very smart. Oh, my, my brother is absolutely brilliant, but he loves his conspiracy theories. So anyways, oh, yeah, go on, yeah. carry on. And so, yeah, we, and we had to make the, the hard call of postponing the run across Canada. And it was, so we, we, we said, it's not, it's not going to happen. It's just going to not, not going to happen now. And we went into lockdown and, you know, there were some beautiful things that happened during lockdown. Like I said, you know, we've started up a podcast, um, me and the team that were organizing Outrun Rare, the run across Canada, we ended up pivoting and creating quarantine backyard ultra, which was just so rad. We ended up having, was it 3,400 people on a Zoom call doing a running race, which was so cool. We're, oh, it was so cool. New York Times. It was so awesome that we could end up just pivoting and just going, doing something really fun. But, you know, I'll be honest with you. I'm, you know, it hurt. I just turned 40 um, a few days ago. I'm, I'm not getting any younger. And this Trans-Canadian speed record is just one of these things that I, I think about every hour of every day. You know, I've gotten gotten into trouble in the past about being you know, calling you know, calling it an obsession, but I am. I <laughs> need to do this, um, and I want to do this. So it sounds like if uh, it becomes safe to do so in a future summer, you would tackle it again. So all all plans are to do it in 2021. I look at the Atlantic provinces, and they're doing such a great job of not allowing anybody in. So wouldn't that suck if I ran across the Quebec border and they said, stop, you know, but you know, you, you got to try, but I also don't want to be putting vulnerable populations at risk when they say, stay at home, they say, stay at home for a reason. And so I think that as an athlete, you also have to put away your own personal endeavors and, and glory in order to do things for the greater population. And if I can't run across Canada and if it's not a good idea, then I won't. But you know, I think that we have to be making these plans 
in order to 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 go out and and to achieve this 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 goal you know the other big thing that um that's kind of been transitioning for me in the past you know many months is is you know you you look back at at the beginnings of of outrun rare and you look back at the at how all of this has kind of spun into this and into what it is which is it's kind of crazy to think that you know, I ended up breaking the, the the Guinness World Record treadmill twenty four hour record, and I remember having a you know a second glass of wine with my wife out on the the patio at my house and said, "Hey, Sharon, I got this idea," and it started from that and then turned into this. But when you when you're in the middle of a pandemic, you know, life is funny because you start looking back and questioning a lot of the decisions that you made and what you were doing and how you were doing things and why you did things, and you know, I think that we are all doing the very best that we can with what we have at the time. But it's time at times of like this, it's really good to go back and look back at decisions you've made and go, okay, you know, should I have been doing things a little bit more authentically and different than what I did in the past? And, and I've come to the conclusion that, yeah, I think I, I think I have to. And so if I were to run across the country in, in 2021, or if I needs to bump back to 2022, you know, social license is a bitch. And, you know, one of my personal issues is that I have a hard time accepting and doing things for myself because I don't really deem myself as being worthy. And in order for, for myself to deem myself worthy to do go, go ahead and tackle a goal as large as, and as selfish, let's be honest with you, it's insanely selfish to take that time away from your family and, and your career and all those things to go do something purely for you. Cause I wanted to break, I wanted to break the trans Canadian speed record. I ended up going out and it's not because I don't have an infinity or a love or support because I absolutely do for the rare disease community. But I, you know, I said, okay, if I'm going to take on something big like this, if I'm going to be this insanely selfish, I think what I need to do is I also need to convince myself, not others, but convince myself that this is okay. So I ended up going out and creating this national awareness campaign called Outrun Rare just in order to tell myself and to tell everybody else, but mostly myself, that no, 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 this is all about rare disease and this isn't me being being a selfish person at all because I really didn't see myself as being worthy of it. And so moving into 2021, I'm going to self-fund this myself. This will be a campaign for rare disease. I just don't know in what way and how I think that the you know, national rare disease petition, I think would be, would be amazing, but ultimately this run across Canada, I'm going to wake up every day believing that I'm worth it and that this goal is huge, but as is my value in this world. And I'm just going to go get out and go for a jog across the country. And to be honest with you, it feels really empowering to say that, but you know, it's brutally honest, but it's, it's about bloody time, I think. Well, I'm so glad to hear you say this, quite honestly, because I think you've hit on something that's very mm. universal in that we all, I think, at our core, really want to know, like, am I enough? Am I worthy? Right. Do I belong? Do I, you know, all of these things. And that's essentially what you're saying, if I'm hearing you correctly. Is that right? You know, my me and my sports psychologist, we have gone back and forth and yeah, he the word enough comes up and it, you know, it actually made me vomit because I, because the problem is he says, Dave, I want to ask you the question, but I don't because the reason why people like you, me, um, 
do so well in the sport is enough is never enough. Mm. But the problem is it also leads to significant psychosis unless you're able to manage yeah. that. It's right? true. It's true. And so what is enough? Am I enough? Yeah. Do I love enough? You, what, is a, what is a long enough run? I mean, you know, if I said it to you guys, I'm going to go out for an 80-kilometer training run, and I ran 60 kilometers and I posted it on Strava, you know, is it enough? Well, it's probably enough for, but it wasn't enough for you. I mean, you, you know, when it comes to running across the country, is that enough? Ultimately, I know when, and this is maybe getting maybe a little bit too deep if, if we haven't already gone there, but, um, you know, when I ended up on the east side of Winnipeg and failed to run across the country in 2018, I remember having a conversation with my son because you know, he, I was lied up in the back of the RV cause I was in tremendous pain and he came back and he was snuggling with me cause you know, little kids, they, they don't know what to say and what to do, but they know that they need to, they want to be there cause they love you, but they just, so would they just cuddle with you or hug you? And I remember I apologized to him and I said, Sam, I'm really sorry because this was, you know, really for you. And I, I thought that when I completed this, that this would be enough, but I'm, I'm here lying in bed, not running. Right. So it's certainly not going to be enough because I'm sitting here and he just kept saying, dad, it's okay. It's okay. And I, I, I sat on those words for the longest time, but I think ultimately he in turn was saying it's enough, mm. you know, it's enough. And, yeah. you know, and I, I, I believe him when he says that. Because really, all, all it was is it was your best effort. And he, and he knew that I gave it my best effort. You know, this is, this, is, this is really amazing. Like, this is very honest. This is very raw. It, you're not just talking about being enough here. You're talking about what a lot of runners, but I think particularly ultra runners or endurance athletes, go through is that bargaining and that justifying mm -hmm. that that what they're doing isn't selfish and it's not all about me and okay if if I go out for four hours this morning then I'm going to be an even better parent when I get back and I'm going to <laughs> I'm going to be fully present and I'm going to make sure that my partner can go do their thing and there's there's this constant push and pull and you know imposter syndrome aside there's definitely I think a lot of bargaining and justifying that goes on when you do a, a sport that is like you said let's be honest inherently selfish Absolutely. and then separating that out and coming to the place where you can say it's okay it's okay to be selfish sometimes. I can do this for me because this is what I need and this is what I have to do. But that isn't all of me. <laughs> mm -hmm. It's like, this is part of what I do and I'm going to do it for me. And that's, I think, really um, important. I think so too. And I, I think that, you know, Strength and excellence comes at the crossroads of, of curiosity and, and courage, right? And I think that, you know, we're all, you know, the three of us are very, very, you know, curious. But I, I, I don't believe that I was really courageous enough. And I, do, I, I still don't know if I am. But I know that me being honest with myself and, and taking these opportunities to be real with myself and saying, hey, hey, I really want to do this and I, I think I might be worthy. And then when I ask my loved ones, 
and they emphatically agree and they're like, Oh, thank God, Dave. It's finally, you've, you've said this, like, you know, I, I guess all my friends and all my, my family members were going to one another all along and saying, why wouldn't he just go and do this on his own? Just go and do it quietly. Just show up at one side of the country and just freaking run the country. Instead of why have all this hoopla, why have all these obligations to these sponsors and, and, you know, every town you go into, you end up meeting the mayor and the politicians and like, I'll be honest with you, it was a tremendous amount of pressure, but I felt that I needed to do that in order to justify my self-worth. So I ended up putting all this pressure and all the pressure and all the pressure and all the pressure. But in the end, it didn't really matter because I failed. And it really didn't matter because the pressure became too much. So I, 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 I think at the end of all of this, and what's, what's really quite funny is that over the last couple of years, there's been a filmmaker following my, me and my, my life around. And, and, you know, it's, it's so funny because, you know, we're, we're filming this film called Outrunner. And it's, it's actually kind of funny what this is kind of transitioning into, which is more of like a, you know, finding oneself through all of this. And, and so, you know, I, you know, and I, I, feel, I even personally feel guilty, which is such a significant issue, which is a big part of the problem is because we're not talking about rare disease right now. We're talking about me and I don't like that, but yet, you know, here we are. But yet, you know, you say you failed and you may not have made it all the way across the country, but I would argue that you probably made a bigger impact and more awareness for rare disease by not making it all the way across mm. than you would have quietly running across the country. So that was a chapter in your story. And that mm -hmm. I think was probably meant to happen that way. And now you can move on and write a different chapter and make a, a different story. And you know, let's not minimize that, you know, you, you talk about feeling guilty <laughs> for, you know, how you felt about how this whole process went, but let's not minimize the fact that you still accomplished something really amazing for rare disease. And like, I would never have known what it was if you hadn't done what you did. So be proud of that. Own that. Like that's a, that's a, a massive success. That's not a failure at all. No, and, 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 and it was a big success. And I, and I do see it as a, as a significant success. And I, but I also see it as a stepping stone. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. I mean, there, there were some incredible takeaways. I mean, we end up still raising a, a shit ton of money for the Rare Disease Foundation. We ended up creating, um, you know, a lot of splash and, and conversation about the needs for more rare disease support and, and access. And, and not only that, but, you know, we, we kind of inspired a community. I mean, I can't tell you how many days I'd be running out on the highway. And there was in the middle of nowhere, there was like this, you know, woman standing there on the side of the highway, holding up a sign. And I would go, always go and I would always fist bump because you, you know, you didn't want to even pre COVID. I didn't want to high five or shake hands mostly because I was blowing my nose with my hand and I didn't want to give them what I had. And, you know, it was, it was a, it was a single mother with a child with a rare disease and they drove four hours out of their way just to hold up a sign to, to show thanks and support because they feel for the very first time that they had a spotlight, a microphone, um, a stage that maybe rare did matter. And, yeah. you know, you're like, oh shit. Okay. This, this is cool. This is touching people. Uh, you, even the day that I end up stopping running, um, you know, I, I made a plea on a video, you know, that I can no longer run 
and it breaks my heart. But I I need all the people who are following this because as well too when you're running, you're in this little bubble and you don't know how big this is. Right. Outside of the fact that you know all these media yeah. outlets are calling you and things. Um, but you just don't know how big it is. So and I end up making a plea to all the people who are following us. And I said, you know, if you go for a two kilometer walk at, after dinner, or if you go for a 10 kilometer run on the weekends, please go to our website and donate your kilometers. And our goal is to get from the east side of Winnipeg all the way to St. John's before the end of the month. We didn't end up doing that. We ended up you know, going back and forth Canada, I think it was 7.7 times. We circumnavigated the entire planet with the amount of kilometers that we end up raising by Canadians. And if that doesn't tell you that there's support from the average Canadian to families living with rare disease and nothing will. And so there were, there was, there was incredible gains that were made, but like everything, everything evolves. And I can't exactly tell you exactly what's going to happen in 2021, 2022. Knowing me, it's going to be something really epic and big and, and, and fun. Um, but I can guarantee you that something really cool is all going to come out of this. Well, I just want to go back to, <laughs> I really think that this speaks to you as a leader again. And I, and I really get that in that moment to you, it might have felt like a failure. And I really want to honor that there you are in your own disappointment, in your own like, oh, my goodness, I just I just failed. I let Sam down or whatever was going through your mind. You were able to pivot and empower people, those same people that might look at what you're doing and say, oh, my goodness, that is so extreme. I could never do that and almost feel disempowered. You know, that person who's on the couch or they've just started their exercise program feeling like, oh, my goodness, this guy's running across Canada. I could never do that. And yet here you are in your in a low point Very is that well. to say, yeah. and still saying, but hey, you on the couch, like, what can you do? Can you walk to your mailbox, log that kilometer, you know? And I love that. Like, I just think that that is what's so amazing about you and probably what draws so many people to you is that you're bringing people with you. You're standing up for what you believe in. You're not just shouting from the mm. sideline, the sidelines. You're really in the game. You're in the arena. And I just want to thank you for that. Well, thank you, Carolyn. And I, I think that, you know, we, we all have a lot more power and control than what we like to think. Um, when you say that, yeah, you know, I have no skin in the game. What could I do? Who am I? That's just a cop out. You know, yeah. if, if we all looked in, inside and if we all just, you know, did a little bit better, right? But think of the massive impact that we could all make in the world. I mean, you think about, you know, the, the world's troubles right now. I mean, stop screaming and yelling and telling one another what to do and just be it. Like, I, yeah, I mean, it's, it's really exactly. that simple. As I scream and yell mm -hmm. at CNN and on and so forth as well, too. So, I mean, I, I'm just as guilty. But yet, you know, it takes some courage but it also takes some some humility because guess what? It's going to be hard and you're going to fail and people are going to look at you sideways and, and because people don't like disturbers. We all think that we like disturbers, but we don't because, you know, nobody likes to be disturbed. Look at the world right now. We, we have a very yeah. different world and it's been disturbed. But typically, you know, if we if you look back at history, looking at war history or the way that the world is now, I mean, it's been 75 years since post-World War II. I mean, what's happening in the world right now, if we look back and in, if we can jump into a, a time machine and, and be in 20, you know, 20 or 30 years down the road, right now is a very pivotal time. 
And if we can all, if there's one time in our lives during a time of transition to kind of lean in and to, to, to just do something, who knows, it might be plant a tree. It could be, you know, be kind to a neighbor. It could be something very small, but we all play a major, major role in, 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 in the world and our outcomes. We do. We do. You know, <laughs> you talk about disturbances, they just, Absolutely. We have to, it, it's something you consciously have to do. We train by, by pushing ourselves to run faster. We need to train for life by literally dancing with disturbance and, and getting comfortable with that. You didn't get to where you are right now as a runner overnight. It took you many, many years of adapting and, and being challenged and realizing that your limits weren't what you thought they were. There's more and more and more. Um, I've heard you say before, and I absolutely agree with you that, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think you said it takes approximately seven years to mm-hmm. start adapting, maybe not becoming you know, all that you can be, but really starting to adapt as an ultra runner to where your body doesn't hurt every day. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and and you've learned enough lessons, your body has become wise, your mind has become wise for you to get there. Can you expand on that a little bit? Yeah, I mean, it comes down to the principle of why not me? We all have choices. And we all have a 1001 behaviors that we that we exhibit every day. And you know, I I get it. It's hard. I get it, you know, waking up in the morning and, you know, sticking it out for that long run or, or even, or even starting the run at times. I get it, you know, you know, putting down the fork when it comes to the chocolate cake and eating the green leafy vegetables. I, all the, all the little things that add up into, you know, developing that, you know, that, that structure and the base that then something like this becomes reasonable. But yeah, like, like I, I look back at my, my ultra running life and all these little moments where you kind of break through. And I, I, I think I always looked at it as a, why not me? You know, I, I, I looked up to all these runners and it's really cool. It was really rad because every runner that I've looked up to, then I ended up, you know, running and, and beating in a race. And then I would look up to another runner and then I would end up, you know, beating them. And there are, there are dragons amongst us. And, and, and it's really, really fun to watch because, you know, the closer you get to that, you know, top of the, the pyramid, you end up seeing these really interesting behaviors that are exhibited. And, you know, I, I'll, I'll, I'll remind your audience, you know, sorry, not remind your audience. I'll, I'll tell your audience of a story about Courtney DeWalter. I ran with her during her first uh, year of, of racing and, and uh, there was a hundred mile race down in, in, in Arizona that I, I ended up winning and she, she didn't come close. She was quite a ways back and she had this terrible, terrible nosebleed and she wore these long shorts that everyone was like, what's up with that? And she had a terrible nosebleed that she couldn't handle and she couldn't get under control. And she's probably, I don't know, 15, 20 pounds heavier than what she is now. But there was just this fierceness to her and this curiosity where you could just tell that she was just going to get a little bit better next year and a little bit better the next year and a little bit better the next year. She never really ever wanted excellence in that moment, but she would always choose the the salad. You just always knew that she never slept in, you know, you know, to not get out for a run or to, to skip uh, leg day or, or to do her core work. And it takes a lot of patience. But it is pretty amazing that over time, what you used to think was a long run is now a short run. And that impossible endeavor is now a Tuesday afternoon. 
Yes. And, you know, and, and when you're there, then it's now, okay, what's even further possible? And this is why I absolutely adore Lazarus Lake and, and his races and the backyard style or races or, 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 or Barclay is because it, it just pins you against yourself. And let's just see what happens. And how far can you go before that break, that, that straw breaks? Because it's really you that fails yourself. But isn't that in life? So, you know, in life, have patience and be courageous to, to, to stand up and, and do the things that you need to do in order to be a, become a better person tomorrow. But do so as well, too, in your recreational activities. Because, you know, whatever you do in your recreational activities that you choose to do is typically how you're going to end up reacting and, and responding in life when, when, when things are actually truly on the line. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like you're really talking about living with integrity, right? Like if no one else knows that you skipped the leg day or that you went for burgers and fries when you could have had a salad, you right. know. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, like there's even this this app that I have on my phone and it's it's a, an app called We Croak. And I know it sounds ridiculous, but, you know, it's a, it's an app that sends me five text messages every day reminding me about my own, own imminent mortality. And it tells you that you're going to die. And I know it sounds terrible and stupid and, and horrible and, 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 and exhausting as well, too, because, you know, one should say, hey, you should never think of your own death. But, you know, it's an old Buddhist saying that says that those who contemplate their own mortality more than five times a day tend to lead happier, more meaningful existences. So knowing very well that you're going to die, that the next five hours of your life, you will never get back. You then take those next five hours and make it worthwhile and meaningful. And, you know, what somebody's meaningful might be, might be somebody else's not so meaningful. The idea of going for a five-hour run might be, you know, just stupid to somebody else. But, you know, it might be reading to your children. It might be having uh, an intimate conversation with a friend or calling your mother, you know, things like that. It's leading through integrity, but also understanding that this life is fleeting and that you don't get a second chance. So Dave, what are your non-negotiables? Ooh, good question. What are my non-negotiables? I'm not going to put myself second ever again. That's the big one. Not believing in yourself fully is a fool's game. So, you know, uh, you know, lack of belief in oneself. I, I really do believe that. I, I think that you know, in order to be good in, in the endurance sport world, you have to have an unreasonable belief in, belief in oneself. Mm-hmm. I, I love ultra marathons because you go to an ultra marathon at the start line, everybody thinks that they're one step away from Jesus Christ. And it's so awesome because you, you never ever see that in life where people see themselves as being something beautiful and great because they're about to go do something really hard and they believe in themselves. And that's so beautiful because you don't see that in the world. So, you know, belief in oneself is non-negotiable. How about just in, in a, in a day-to-day basis? Like I, I love hearing the high level stuff, but you mm-hmm. know, in a, in a given 24 hour period, what things always happen with you? What things are always going to get done before you go to bed? Yeah. Um, I'll tell my children, I love them every day. I will always sit down and have an intimate conversation with them every day. I drink plenty of water. <laughs> um, I intend on getting plenty of sleep, but uh, that sometimes doesn't happen. Um, I'm also turning into a 
you know, a 40 year old who has to get up twice in the middle of the night to go pee. Um, I'm wondering, you are a massage yeah. therapist. Do you go for a regular yes. massage? Uh, not, not necessarily for, for regular massage. I'll get massaged probably once every month or so, but I've got a physiotherapist who like, he just knows my body better than I, I know. I don't even have to tell him how, how, how I'm feeling. And I, as I walk in, he's like, oh yeah, let me guess. And so, yeah, his name's Tyson Plesek and, and he's, he's a muscle whisperer. And so uh, I see him once a week. He's, he's spectacular and he's probably the reason why I'm, I'm, I'm bright at the age of 40. So um, yeah, so, so <laughs> physiotherapy is, is, is just absolutely key. Uh, and self-massage, I roll a lot on a lacrosse ball, on um, foam rollers. I take plenty of CBD tea. Um, so CBD I've, I found for recovery is just spectacular. And the fact that it's now, you know, uh, legal uh, in, in Canada, it's, it's, it's wonderful. And it's an essential item here in Manitoba. You know, clothing is non-essential and stores can't sell it, but they can sell CBD oil. Really? Is that true? <laughs> yes. Yes. Well, that's funny. That's it funny. It is. It's interesting. Yeah. So Carolyn and I are, uh, you know, partial to physiotherapists, being physiotherapists mm. ourselves. Um, but yeah, I, I was really interested, just taking a little bit of a curve in this conversation, to know, you know, your strategies to keep your body going, um, mm. both within an event, you know, like, for example, at the Canadian or the World Championship Backyard event in Kelowna about a month ago, mm. you know, during that event, but then also day to day, what your strategies are. So you said you roll a lot, you get mm -hmm. body work done regularly. Do you stretch? I know there's uh, debate on whether or not stretching is yeah. even needed. Yeah, I, <laughs> to be honest with you, I, 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 there's a long list and stretching is typically at the very bottom and mm -hmm. I just never done it. And I, I feel like when I stretch, I just don't feel much better. So I, I, I typically don't yeah, I know that sounds terrible. No, it actually doesn't because I've drifted that way myself and I feel like such yeah. a hypocrite sometimes when I'm like, yeah, I actually haven't oh. stretched in like three weeks, but oh, I roll I and yeah. I do, strengthening is is critical for me. Strengthening um, is critical. I've got a trainer, uh, her name's Carla and I see her once a week. So leaning into off season, which is, you know, now yeah. uh, I'll be lifting, you know, three to five days a week. So, um, you know, it's, it's, you know, you, you, you can't really put a Ferrari engine in a Toyota Yaris. Mm -hmm. You just can't. And so, <laughs> um, yeah, if, if I it. want to go out and run 105 kilometers every day for over two months, I have to have the structure that can handle it. You have and to be durable. Yeah. You got to be durable. And the only way to do that is, is, is have some oversight by somebody like Carla to, to kind of guide you through, you know, what to do and, and what not to do, um, in the gym. And I imagine that's really important with your back now too. Like it's, has it been pretty good in the last little while or? Great. Yeah, it's been great, but also my, I've never been as strong. So, um, I would, I would, I would gladly skip a run in order to get some strength training done. Mm, I love to hear you say that. I don't know if you're familiar with physiotherapist Jay Disher. Have, have you yeah, ever yeah. the anatomy of runners? But he talks about this analogy. I'm a big analogy person, but he talks about um, you could never shoot a cannon out of a canoe. So right. the cannon is sort of like your aerobic power, right? So you can build this great big aerobic engine, like you said, but if you don't have the structure to go right. with it, then you're going to keep on Correct. getting injured. Yeah. So, And we see that all the time. You know, the mm -hmm. too thin, 
thin, not strong people who are trying to run these big miles, they break down over time. Absolutely. And then there's the efficiency in, in the stride of running yeah. as well too. Yeah. And, and you, know, you look at some of these incredible endurance runners and you, you just, they, they don't even look like they're moving. Like mm-hmm. they're, they're, it's, it's beautiful even, but then on the other hand, then you look at Camille Heron and yeah. you wonder how is she standing upright? But yet, you know, how do you argue? Yeah. You know, the, the world record holder. So, yeah. um, you know, you, you see some beautiful strides and, and I like to, to think that, you know, I'm, I'm very short and, and, and compact and, you know, try to work as little as I can out there, but try to go at, at the, the, the best pace. But yet on the other hand, it's, it's always a work in progress. Well, and your body's not the same as it was last year. It's not the same as it was five or 10 years ago. Right. You know, I find as I'm entering Oh my goodness. It's going to be mid forties in a few years, still in the early forties. Um, it, it doesn't happen by accident. You, your strength doesn't just, you can't just put it in the bank and expect it to stay there forever. <laughs> and I have to work a little bit harder at it. You know, hormones change and your, your ability to maintain that changes. And it becomes, I believe right. way right. more important. You know, I give talks to different running groups and I say, if every runner would spend as much time as they have historically spent strengthening, sorry, strengthening as they have stretching, mm-hmm. I'd be out of a job, you know, like, right. um, right. it's so important. It's so important. Absolutely. So Dave, you've just told us this absolutely incredible story and you have accomplished these amazing feats of human endurance. And I'm just curious what you would say to someone who might be listening. That's like, oh my goodness, I could never do that this is too extreme. Like there's nothing that I can do. Like talk to that person because there was a time I I remember at the beginning of this conversation where you thought running around the block was far. Mm -hmm. Talk to that person right now. Do you have a message for them? Yeah, exactly that. You know, why not you? Right. And, and just start, just do something that's, you know, a little bit harder, you know, wake up a half an hour early tomorrow morning you know, make that one good and reasonable choice when it comes to food or when it comes to, you know, um, if you're going to go for a walk, go for an extra 10 minutes at the, at the end of that run, just, you know, search for betterment in any little thing that you do and don't expect that it's going to come lickety split. The instant gratification has never really served anybody well. Yeah. So just look for opportunity for growth in every little way and lean into it and give it an extra 10%, you know, more. And that'll pay dividends because 10% upon 10% upon 10%, you know, if we all got, if we all had, you know, 10% compound, compound interest on our, on our, you know, on our, on our savings, yes. we'll be rich, right? <laughs> yeah. But why don't, why don't we put, why don't we pay, put that same deposit into the bank when it comes to our fitness and, and our health? I'd like to challenge everyone. Why are you standing in your own way? And maybe, and maybe that's the bigger conversation, right? And I, hey, I, I have those conversations with myself all the time because, you know, trying to manage myself and my conversations that are happening in my, in my own head during these races as well, too, it's hard enough. But yet, you know, why do I always choose comfort and laziness instead of the things that really I know that I should choose? And so having that conversation with yourself and coming to grips with, okay, why do I talk myself out of this? And maybe it's seeing a psychologist, maybe it's talking to friends, maybe it's it's creating a great support network of people that, hey, I'm going to get out for a run on Tuesday, can you please hold me accountable? 
Um, whatever it is that you feel like you need, get out of the way, go look for 10% betterment every day, and you're going to be a wealthy person soon. I love it. it. (laughs) That's our signature (laughs) phrase. I love it. Um, No, I really like what you said, just simply two words. Why not? You know, I'm big on asking why, but that is such a huge, expansive question. If you just like, just crystallize it down to why not, you have silence. Mm -hmm. And silence can sometimes speak huge volumes in a person's soul. So anyways, that's awesome. I love it. Um, Before we kind of wrap up here, we've kept you quite long enough, I think. We have a few rapid fire questions at the end we want to ask you. Before we go there, just what? So we wanted to ask, what is exciting you now? So I know you've talked about still you want to run across Canada, but you've excelled in so many different running genres and race formats from timed events to distant events to, you know, all different types, treadmill events, road events. Is there any other format of running that you haven't tried yet that intrigues you? Uh, um, The marathon. The marathon really intrigues me. I've never run a marathon. Like I've never raced a marathon. And so, and everybody talks about how, how hard it is. And and I I believe it because, you know, you, you think about the pace that you could run 42 kilometers that would really hurt. And it's very difficult to kind of run, run on that razor's edge for that long. And so the marathon, I think you know, maybe in a few years returning to, to the marathon and, and, and not returning to, but just running a marathon um, and trying to sharpen my knife. Well, I think it's safe to say you've done your base work. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, it, but I'm super curious of what that would feel like pushing yourself completely at the 36 kilometer mark. I, I'm, I'm really fascinated. And I, I, so I, I do, I, without running a marathon, without racing a marathon, I do think that running marathons is the hardest distance out of any, any distance. Yeah. From somebody who's run one and said, run and done, never again. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I would tend to agree with you, but it's amazing how many ultra runners we've talked to that actually skip the marathon distance. Like they just yeah. go right from halves to ultras. Boom. Because right. I think there is that it does hurt and it's a different kind yeah. of pain and yeah. yeah, it's iconic. It's intimidating. It's kind of like the it's yeah. long enough, but it's oh, short right. enough, yeah. like you say, to kind of have to to, to perform if, if performance is important mm-hmm. to you, then yeah, you're you're it's not mm-hmm. fast, but it's yeah. long. Absolutely. <laughs> you know, is. to be going at that speed. So yeah, it's a tricky yeah. distance for sure. Okay. Well, I think let's get into our five rapid fire questions, Dave. I don't know if you Please. had a chance to sneak a peek at these in advance, but just really briefly, uh, here's mm-hmm. the first one. Do you have a favorite mantra or saying in your head when you're running? All day. I can do this all day. And that's my, that's my favorite because it's, it's so, yeah, sorry, sorry, the rapid fire. Yeah, so I'm not going to get into it. Yeah. I, I will say you might have to change that if you run the marathon. But anyway. Yeah, yeah, right, right. <laughs> you need it in the beginning, though, because you do want to dial mm-hmm. on that all day pace. Okay. Awesome. So second question, if you could be dropped anywhere in the world to run, where would it be? Hmm. Kenya. Wow. Hmm. We haven't had that one. Have you ever ran in Kenya or in Africa? No, no. But I, I think it would be amazing, you know, because you'd feel like a chump, you know, <laughs> yes. you'd show up and you'd be like, wow, you know, I, I, I'm not even, I can't even categorize myself as a runner leaving there, you know? Well, maybe when you train for your marathon, right. when you train for your marathon, you can go hook up with a Kenyan. Yeah, absolutely. 
Yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> Are there any actual races on your bucket list right now? Uh, Big's Backyard um, next year. Uh, mm-hmm. Laz has said it's going to happen down in Tennessee. And yeah, I, I, I think that next year, given how everything panned out this year, I think it's going to go a hundred hours. And mm-hmm. so I would love to be in the mix that, that gets, gets to the hundred hour mark. You know, okay. This is supposed to be rapid fire, but this came up when we were talking with Jeremy, I asked him, how, how long do you think the human body can go? And I've been thinking about this a lot since then, because think of Roger Bannister, right? And the four minute mm-hmm. mile, all it took was one person and then boom, within like, mm-hmm. what was it? Less than a year. You had multiple people mm-hmm. hitting that, that barrier. Mm-hmm. And I think this is another perfect example of this kind of impossible, irrational goal. And Mm -hmm. I'm really curious to see over the next, like we've just, it's just a frontier that people are just now flirting with. Mm -hmm. Like think in the next five to 10 years, like, anyway. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, ultra (laughs) running is is fairly new as a sport, right? It's it's in its infancy. It's still relatively, yeah. yeah. And and then some of these um, niche Parts of it, like like winter ultras and and the backyard format, are even more new. Like mm-hmm. people just you you practically yeah. know every name of the people that are in these events. Absolutely. Um, okay, so okay, fourth question: Do you have a favorite running book or running movie? Uh, Born to Run is is an incredible book. It's so so entertaining. But um, chasing Ali Howie. Um, yeah, yeah. So, uh, sorry, find, sorry, finding El Howie. Finding El Howie, not chasing El Howie. Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm doing. I'm chasing El Howie. That's funny. Um, <laughs> chasing yeah, but finding El Howie. You can write your own book. <laughs> okay, so final question. What is your favorite post-run guilty indulgence? A&W onion rings. Because yeah, they're awesome. Yeah, yeah. They normally, are. normally yeah. I'm not a big fan, but after racing, like they are delicious. They're so salty, salty yes. and fatty, and everything. It's perfect. Love it. Oh, this has been fascinating. Such a great conversation, Dave. Thank you so, so much for your time tonight. And if people want to go somewhere to learn more about you, where would you? Yeah, uh, go to runproctor.com. Uh, that's my personal website. Uh, you could also go to outrunrare.com to find out more about Outrun Rare or you know, just check me out on Facebook or Instagram or Twitter. All right. We can link all of those up in the mm. show notes. Wow. Okay. So I knew this was going to be a great hour or closing on too, but it really was. So Dave, thank you so much for giving us your time tonight and good luck with whatever's next for you. It's been an absolute slice. Thanks a lot, Kim and Carolyn. Yeah, thank you so much. 